Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And at the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight. We're breaking down the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500. From Texas Motor Speedway, it was Kyle Busch's 44th career victory, the first of his 2018 season. Kevin Harvick finished second after a wild, wild day for him. Uh, Numerous mistakes on pit road, a couple of loose lug nuts. He blamed the pit guns at the end of the race. We'll discuss that. Also, a missed call on Kevin Harvick. On a, pit, on a pit road penalty that should have been called. We'll discuss that as well as NASCAR had a really tough day today. Uh, a lot of attrition today at Texas Motor Speedway. Some big-name drivers, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., two, two contenders to win today, had some issues blowing right front tires, hitting the outside wall. Ryan Newman was running second when the same thing happened to him. We'll discuss the tire issues as well, and we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking in Circles. But first, John... Kyle Busch, uh, it came down to really a late race restart um, where the field was really jumbled up because of different pit strategies. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. stayed out, stayed out uh, on older tires. Uh, Ryan Newman hit the outside wall. Really only four cars on lead lap at that point because Stenhouse had pretty much lapped the whole field. Harvick restarted in front with – or excuse me, Kyle Busch started in front with Kevin Harvick second. Uh, Bush pulled away. Harvick just couldn't catch him at the end. I thought Harvick was a stronger car on the longer run, but uh, it was a tough, tough, tough day to pass today at Texas Motor Speedway. That bottom lane, they've, they reconfigured that track and made it a one-lane racetrack uh, to where Ka- Brad Keselowski even said in an interview today that these cars can't run side-by-side at Texas Motor Speedway. Well, that's bad for a racetrack if they can't run side-by-side, but we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, but Harvick tried to catch down, catch Kyle Busch, could not do it. And Kyle Busch wins for the 44th time in his career. Your thoughts on the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500 at Texas Motor Speedway? Well, Clayton, uh, one of the things we've noticed all season long, Kyle Busch has been right there all season. A lot of second-place finishes, just not enough to get to Harvick, not enough to get to Boyer last time at Martinsville. I mean, um, Kyle Busch has been right there. And to finish first, you must first finish. And if you're sitting there knocking on the door in second place over and over again, Sooner or later, it's going to come through. The thing with this race, and there's a lot to talk about from it, Kevin Harvick had the best car all day long, without a doubt. I mean, he was driving away from the field when he won the first stage. He was in good shape in the second stage till, I mean, what's the chances of getting a lug nut stuck in the jack? I mean, that's one of those frequent, so you can't really blame the pit crew yep. on that. It's just one of those things happen. But the loose lug nuts, and it isn't just Harvick complaining about it. Truex has complained about it all year. The pit guns have been a joke. And Harvick even said flat out NASCAR has a big problem on their hand with these mandated uh, pit guns. Joe Gibbs has said about the pit guns. Um It just is one of the problems that they're running into. These pit guns are not as reliable as the ones that people were building on their own. Now, granted, Joe Gibbs and them were spending half a million dollars trying to get their pit guns to go faster, more reliable in that. 
and the small teams couldn't catch up with them, so they voted on it and put it back to this mandatory pit gun. But I don't know how much testing they've done on it in conditions and all that stuff. It just isn't working. Yeah, listen, I don't know, you know, but it, it, you know, if this was just a, uh, you know, a, an issue just at Texas Motor Speedway today, I'd have been like, okay, I'll blame the cold weather, um, because I, I saw a couple comments, people, Greg Zipadelli suggesting that maybe it was the colder weather today that had some issues this weekend at Texas because they had some issues in the Xfinity Series race with Harvick as well, where they said, hey, maybe it was the cold weather, but it's been an issue pretty much all year. And we're seven races into the season now. This, this is something that should be figured out. Um, you know, you can understand and you can live with it for the first four or five races and you say, okay, it's new. Um, you know, they kind of got to figure out what's going on here. We understand everything. But this is seven races into the season now. We're getting into a very, very crucial part of the season. You know, Kevin Harvick probably should have won the race today. You know, he, he came out and said he should have won by uh, a half a straightaway. I don't know if he had that much of a, uh, of, a dom- of a car over Kyle Busch, but he definitely should have been in front and, and probably should have won today. Um, and that costs him playoff points, you know, and it keeps Kyle Busch possibly off of the playoffs right now. So uh, it's a, a major change in momentum because of pick guns. Now, again, I, I could live with it for the first three or four or five races of the year, you know, but with this week off after Martinsville, you know, you think, okay, everybody's kind of got to go to the drawing board and look at the mistakes they're making and clean them up, including NASCAR. Um, So we've had these issues here for the last few weeks and still having issues at Texas Motor Speedway today. To me, that's uh, a problem. Um, I think it's something that when you look at, you say, you have to to sort of look at and say, what's going on with – with these pit guns and, and what can be done? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the fact that, um, you know, they, they can't produce as many as they want to produce. So it's interesting. I think the Toyota teams, they're, uh, you know, they're pretty bitter about it, especially Joe Gibbs racing, because they're the ones who had the um, advantage with the old pit gun. So I think the Toyota teams are a little bit bitter about it, but uh, ultimately, John, the owners are, are at fault here. You know, the RTA, they, they push for this. They wanted cheaper guns. They got cheaper guns, and you get what you pay for. And right now, the guns are, are an issue, especially for, um, you know, this, I think the crazy thing is, is when you have an issue to start this race, there's nothing they can do. It seems like the issue is throughout the race. So um, no doubt it was a big problem today at Texas. Well, one of the things is Rob Kaufman, who's the president of the RTA, said, this isn't what the RTA asked for. All the owners voted on this, and the only vote owner who voted against it was Chip Ganassi Racing, which Rob Coffin happens to be a part of. So it made it interesting on that part. Um, there's just so many things in this race that um, just baffles the mind. Um, yeah, Harvick was that good. I think one of the things where Harvick lost on this, it wasn't the fact that Kyle Busch beat him on the restart and everything like that. There were four cars on the lead lap whenever the last caution came out for Ryan Newman's wreck. Why didn't Rodney Childers bring him in and put four fresh Goodyears on that thing? They were running on 10-lap older tires and Stenhouse and Bubba Wallace and the cars that took the wave around. Why not come That's in? That's a good point. You're not, go, you're not going to go back past fifth. I mean, you're not going to go fourth at the worst. So put mm-hmm. four fresh Goodyears on. You saw what happened when Harvick came out and he had 20 lap pressure tires on the Kyle Busch, he went from 11th to second in that run. And he was just mowing everybody down. He was running lap times as fast as Kyle Busch was 
while passing cars and running through traffic. Rodney Childers, he had extra tires in the, he had extra tires back there. I think part of it was Rodney Childers was thinking we screwed up enough on pit road today. Why risk it? But I mean, those four fresh Goodyears, I mean, even if they screwed up the pit stop and everything, they have four tires on and it's 10 laps fresher than Kyle Busch. You're sitting there behind him. When Kyle Busch stays out, you can come in and you know, there's only two other cars with you. Oh, hell, I do that every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, I think the thing you get a little nervous about there is uh, 917-889-8280, if you want to join the show tonight, is a little bit maybe uh, of Stenhouse and uh, Daryl Wallace Jr., who didn't have fast race cars today. Stenhouse was sort of a back-end top-10 car. Daryl Wallace was probably a top-15 car, ended up eighth, a good run for him. Um, So there was some, you know, I think you might look at that and say, well, maybe we get a little bit behind them. Stenhouse had an issue with his brakes at that point, so if something happens on a restart, you run into him. But you're right, you don't fall back past fourth, so fresh tires might have helped you there. Um, and, and maybe just something that if you had to do it over again, he might do that. Uh, looking through the rest of the field here, Kyle Busch, as we said, was your winner. It was Kevin Harvick in second, as we said. Then you had Jamie McMurray, Eric Jones, and Ryan Blaney, third, fourth, and fifth. First off for McMurray, a good day. Um, he was running in the top ten for most of the day. Had a couple of really good restarts. We saw him in second at one point as well. Ended up in the third spot, but this is a momentum builder for Jamie McMurray. Six races this season. He's had a tough, tough year so far. Uh, he needed to stop the bleeding badly. And he, a good, solid third-place run for Jamie McMurray. He really needed that today, John. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's what we've been talking about who needs good runs, who doesn't, um, who's on the hot seat, who isn't. And Jamie McMurray's been on both the hot seat and the – person who needs to stop the bleeding um i don't think they had the best run of the day they had one spurt where uh mcmurray on that restart where stenhouse felt like he lost his brakes or whatever and got out of the way on the final restart where he was able to get by three four cars and get up there to try to be in the neighborhood of harvick and kyle bush but other than that jamie mcmurray was up there but he wasn't pushing for anything he was i mean you look he didn't lead a lap i mean most every you've got Eric Jones led 64, Kurt Busch led 40, Harvick 87, Kyle Busch 116, but Jamie McMurray sitting there in third and he didn't he didn't lead a lap. And then you got Blaney in fifth, he didn't lead a lap, and Blaney was running around with a wrecked car, and his team did a hell of a job to uh, keep that car in, in one piece, piecemeal it together, and keep it where it was running well and getting a top five out of it. That's a championship winning move on that team because that day his day could have easily been a 25th place and they kept working on it, working on it and got it a top five. Yeah. I tell you, Ryan Blaney is really impressed this year. At least me. I know. And I I expected him to run really good this year with going to team, but he's been to me and I know Logano's had a really strong year and he finished sixth today. Joe Logano, another good day, another strong run for the 22 car, but that 12 car to me, as far as pure speed is concerned, I think he's been the best Penske car all year. Uh, and to come out today and, and to have some issues that they had and to come back and battle back and rebound and finish fifth, tremendous, tremendous day. You're right. That's what that's what championship team is something you like to see. Now, I think Blaney might be too raw. Maybe to start to, to put him in that category just yet. But uh, maybe, you know, 15 more races under his belt. Who knows? You, you know, wins a couple more races, you say, hey, that 12 car is going to be somebody to look out for. But another solid day. I thought Eric Jones had a pretty impressive day today. Led 64 laps, like you said. Um, ran in the top five for most of the day. A very, very good day for Eric Jones. Um, you know, 
when you look at somebody who this is a kid who's won a lot of races and a lot of series he's been in. I think everybody expected him last year to have a much better year than he had. He didn't miss make the chase this year. Uh, I think expectations are that he's going to make the playoffs, taking over for Matt Kenseth, a veteran who won races in that car last year, made the playoffs. Um, so Jones has got a lot of pressure on him this year. But what you like to see is a step in the right direction for this 20 car. Eric Jones showed that today, leading some laps, uh, finishing in the top five, and a strong day for him as well. Yeah, it was a good day for Eric Jones. I I mean, it's one of those things. He's He's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. If he does well, they're like, well, it's Matt Kenseth's car, but he's got a new crew chief with him that he brought over from the 77 team. Uh, if you think about last year, I think Furniture Road knew it was a one-year deal going in. Uh, they wanted to keep him there, and it, but Gibbs wanted to bring him home. And I think Furniture Road put all their ducks in the Martin Truex Jr. basket because he's the one who's going to be there this year. So I think Jones had a good run with Furniture Row in the 77, but I think it wasn't the full effort he probably would have gotten. Now that he's at Joe Gibbs Racing, it's been a few re- few races in where there's been a couple where he's been out to lunch. But, I mean, he's starting to show some consistency, starting to show what he knows how to do. It was a good run for Eric Jones. Um, the other one we you talked about it earlier was Bubba Wallace Jr. I think part of the reason why he stayed where he was and ended up with the top 10 cars, they played the strategy game to where they were going to run until they were running out of gas and they had to come into the pits 10 laps uh, within the next 10 laps after Newman wrecked. So whenever Newman wrecked, it wound up where there was four cars on the lead lap and Bubba, Ricky Stenhouse, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick were the only four there. So Bubba was put in a good place and he, and the sad part is he had fresher tires and everybody who took the wave around and he wound up going backwards from fourth to eighth, but it's still a good run, good momentum for that team. And they interviewed Drew, Drew Blickensdurfer during the uh, race, and he said, hey, be where we're at right now because this deal came together so late where Richard Petty Motorsports uh, built the alliance with Richard Childress Racing, went over to the Childress camp, and they basically started so far behind because they didn't make that deal until close to January. So they're behind to begin with, and – to have a great finish in the Daytona 500. They struggled a little bit here and there, but they had a good run at Texas today. I mean, they, they really weren't a top 10 car. They finished there. They probably were 15th or something, but momentum is what it is. And at the end of the day, it doesn't say they finished 15th. It says they finished eighth. So everybody goes back to the shop on uh, tomorrow and says, Hey, we had a top 10 run. Let's keep working on that. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, you can't, take credit away from them. And I mean, you keep in mind that there was a lot of attrition today, no doubt about it. Um, but a, a, a solid day for him. Six through 10 today was Joe Logano in sixth, Kurt Busch in seventh, the pole sitter. Eighth was Darrell Wallace Jr. As you mentioned, ninth was Clint Boyer and William Byron rounded up the top 10. Um, you know, to, to get back on Darrell Wallace, you know, he, he really worked hard. There was a time in that race where he, he ran a great, you know, was running great. He, he held off Kevin Harvick for a lucky dog spot at one point in that race. So that was nice to see. It was, he had speed all weekend. I think, you know, you look at the practice sessions, you look where he qualified in 15th. That's better than what that car has performed um, in, in past weeks. He did a nice job. Eighth is a solid day for that organization. It's a solo cooperation, as you mentioned. Not a ton of sponsorship there. Good day for him. Logano, I mentioned earlier, in the sixth spot, uh, a solid day, ran in the top five, top ten all day. Uh, you know, just kind of see what, we, what we've seen from Logano all year long. But behind the 18, the four, 
the 78, a step behind those guys right now, that 22 car. They got, they want to improve on that, get a little bit more speed. But still, um, you know, they were way behind last year, and this year they're running really good, really consistent. There's still some room to improve, no doubt about it, but a nice day for him. Kurt Busch finished in seventh, uh, led 40 laps, got a little bit off in the pit sequence. Um, you know, they had some issues as well with the pit sequence, but a seventh-place run for Kurt Busch. Clint Boyer was ninth. Uh, Stuart Haas racing three of four cars in the top ten. The only car to finish outside the top ten was Eric Amarola, who was running in the top ten when an accident happened that took him out of the race. So another solid day for, for Stuart Haas racing and 100 Motorsports car in the top ten. That was William Byron, who did a very good job, started at the rear of the field due to an engine change um, from earlier in the week in practice. A solid top ten for William Byron, that rookie, making a step in the right direction in the Liberty University Chevrolet. What were your thoughts uh, on those guys 6 through 10 today? Well, I think Joey Logano, I listened to him on the pre-race show with Claire B. And he actually said, we're probably a fourth to seventh place car. And he pegged it pretty right. I mean, he was six, He finished in sixth. He said he, he doesn't know uh, why Penske's a little wee bit behind Stuart Haas Racing. And he said the 18, you always have to count as being up there. But he said, I think we're a fourth to seventh place car. I mean, he said, if and when we run the race and you never know what can happen, we could end up pulling one out. But he had it right on the money. He was a fourth to seventh place car. And that's about where he was all day. Uh, I thought it was a good day. Clint Boyer backed up his win at Martinsville. Um, again, you're seeing consistency out of the 14 car that we haven't seen in a long time. Um and it's one of those things. They got the big momentum of the win at Martinsville. They had the week off and now you go out this week, and sometimes you have that pressure of like, oh, I want to get another win because it's been 190-plus races since we won last time. But he wound up playing it smart, ran consistently. He was up in the top five a good bit of the day. And I think one of the restarts where Kurt Busch kind of got out of whack and it wound up scrambling the field, and Boyer's one of the ones who wound up dropping back to keep himself out of trouble, still pulled out a top 10 finish. I think it was a good day for William Byron. Uh, you remember early in the year, the mile and a half in Atlanta, he was out the lunch, totally lost. He was out the lunch and lost at Vegas. He seemed lost at California. He was respectable today. Um, no, no issues, no problems. He was consistent all day, pulled himself a top 10, and that's a good momentum builder for this rookie. Yeah, it is, and a solid day. And you brought up a good point about – um, you know, Stuart Haas racing there, just another solid day for them. Uh, and, and, you know, what I like about what Byron did is, you know, he came from the rear, um, but track position was such a key. And when you lost your track position, you, you really, um, it was tough to get through, through the field. You mentioned on that restart with Kurt Busch where he kind of lost control almost a little bit and Boyer had to back off as well. They could never get their way back up to the front. But William Byron started at the rear of the field and worked his way up there. Now, there was some pitch strategy. There was a, uh, some, some, a lot of cautions today where he could catch up to the field and sort of, you know, gain his positions other than passing on the racetrack, which helped him a lot. But still, you know, when you come from the rear of the field today, uh, a nice job in a 10th place run for William Byron. Chase Elliott, who had a loose wheel under Greeny at the pit, was running in the top 10 when that happened. He finished 11th. Trevor Bain, a good run for him, 12th. Had some, he was in a wreck, uh, but he was strong all weekend, had a fast car. And ended up in the 12th spot. Ty Dillon, he needed a good run. He finished 13th. Michael McDowell, his second top 15 of the year, 14th spot for him in the front row motorsports Ford. Chris Buescher, 15th. Matt DiBenedetto, 16th. Casey Kane was 17th. 18th. Ross Chastain. Cole Witt, 19th. 
Greg Golding, 20th. A lot of these guys pick up their positions, including even Landon Castle, 21st, picked up their positions because of the attrition rate. There were so many accidents today. A lot of those guys pick up their positions um, through the attrition rate. But was there somebody there, John, from 11 through 21 who really, really impressed you? Not only – and we know, again, when you look at those uh, attrition, was it was a huge factor. And we're going to touch on the wrecks and, and what we think caused the tire issues today uh, and what we think – was the reason why we saw so much carnage today in a little bit. But was there somebody up there in that spot who really just had a, had a solid day and a solid run, even without the attrition? Eh, not really. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just, if you look at it, only 10 finished on the lead lap. So, I mean, yeah, you could say Michael McDowell had a solid day getting a 14th place finish, and Ty Dillon had a good day for him finishing 13th. But in reality, Ty, Ty Dillon and Michael McDowell were two laps down. Same with Trevor Bain. Same with Chase Elliott. They were a lap down. Um, I think Ross Chastain, even though he was nine laps down in 18th, he's doing really good in that premium motorsports number 15. Uh, But that race was a top 10 and who wrecked? Because you take out who wrecked. And let's give the quick list. You've got Stenhouse, who had a problem after hitting the wall. You have Newman. Daniel Suarez. Eric Almirola, Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr. On a normal day where the wrecks aren't like they were, those guys in the second 10 are from 11th through 20th. They're probably 23rd through 33rd or something because Jimmy Johnson was running decent until he had a loose lug nut. Truex lost a tire. Larson lost a tire. Uh, Hamlin got caught up in the mix of that accident. Same with Keselowski. Same with Almirola. I mean, it's just one of those days where it was the top 10, and then the other story was who didn't finish. Because 11 through 20, if the best, I mean, Chase Elliott was was a lap down. Yeah, he had the loose lug nut, and that's probably the story about half the field. Because Harvick came in for a loose lug nut. Blaney came in for a loose lug nut. Johnson came in for a loose lug nut. And before they put these pit guns in, a lot of times those loose lug nuts or loose wheels weren't happening as much. I mean, you'd have, I mean, they were to the point where they could run it with three lugs on the wheel and not worry about the tire, be, I mean, worry about the wheel being loose because those three lugs were tightened so well that you'd have to worry about it. Now it's like if they miss one and it's missed badly, it's not good. So I think the, if you really think about it, I think the lug, the, uh, the air gun that they're using for the lug nuts is causing more problems than you think. I mean, look at some of the drivers that came out of it. I mean, Greg Galding in the uh, BK Motorsports finished 20th, which is a great run for them. But, hell, they were 12 laps down. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of race is it when 20th place is 12 laps down? It's not the old days where it's Petty and Pearson and then everybody's five laps down. No, you're right, and there was a lot of attrition, and, and we're going to touch on that right now. I mentioned uh, Landon Castle, 21st, then you have Harrison Rhodes, 22nd, David Reagan, 23rd, A.J. Almendinger finished 24th. He was running up in the top 10, top 15 there at the end until an engine expired with about 20 to go. Uh, 25th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., then Austin Dillon, Ryan Newman in 27th, Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez, Paul Menard in the top 30. Reed Sorensen, Eric Amarola, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Larson, and Martin Trix Jr. in 37th, ran it at the field. Uh, the, the wrecking started 
early, John. Lap four, uh, Alex Bowman lost control, got into a wreck with the three of Austin Dillon. The 19 of Daniel Suarez was, was involved. Same thing with the 21 of Paul Menard. Um, an interesting little thing happened there as well with the 88 car. Um, I visibly watched the 88 car pull his car down into behind the wall um, with crash damage. And you thought he was done, and all of a sudden he entered on the racetrack, and he actually finished the race. He was way behind. Uh, he ended up finishing in the um, 28th position, but he finished the race. He did not get a DNF. And it just makes you scratch your head and wonder, according to NASCAR, it was a um, mechanical failure that why they went back to the behind the wall. But we watched them. I'm sure they fixed some crash damage while they were behind the wall. Who knows how long it did with the five-minute clock. To me, a little bit strange that they let him back out on the racetrack. That was the first of many uh, kind of head-scratching calls for NASCAR to let Alex Bowman back on that racetrack. Yeah, it was. I mean, the rule is plain as day. If you go behind the wall with crash, if you're involved in a wreck and you go behind the wall, your day is done. You remember it with Matt Kenseth last year. He got pulled out of the race because he went behind the wall with crash damage. And they said, nope, you're done. Thanks for playing. Bye-bye. It just is crazy. NASCAR writes rules. NASCAR is really good at changing rules. But they're not that great at enforcing rules. And it benefited Harvick on the last pit stop because supposedly a tire or a, um, yeah, a tire that gets away, if it's more than an arm length away from somebody, it's considered um, a penalty infraction. And that car was a good two arms lengths away from the tire carrier, which we finally had our first one throughout the year. I'm impressed with the way the pit crews have been, but I was the one screaming and hollering whenever they made the rule. They were cutting down to six people over the wall instead of seven. Then you're going to have tires flying all over the place. Um, and the funny part is we didn't just have tires falling all over the place. One of the guys trying to catch Harvick's tire when they were wheeling it over to him fell over the wall. So it wound up being not the loose, not the uh, tire getting away from somebody. It counted as too many men over the wall. So t- Harvick had to run a dry, uh, had a penalty for that. So I mean, it's just one of those things where NASCAR is great at making rules, great at changing rules. They suck at enforcing the rules. Yeah. Listen, there were some issues there. Uh, I don't understand the Bowman thing. I'm going to have to have that explained to me because you know, I, I saw his car also when they was on a racetrack at the end of the race. He had tape on the car. Um, did he come down and, and, and make the six-minute clock that we have? I, I, I just To me, it's, it's a head-scratcher. Uh, if he went behind the wall, how can you, how can you keep track of the six-minute clock? Um, I, I don't know. I just To me, it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to have to have that one explained to me. You know, and they came out and admitted that they screwed up on the Kevin Harvick one that you're talking about on the final pit stop where there was an arm length of a um, – you know, what virtually should have been a loose wheel. They, they flagged Ryan Blaney for this, a similar issue earlier in the event, and Blaney had to go to the to the back of the field, and I think that ended up costing Ryan Blaney immensely. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of inconsistency. Mike Joy comes on Fox, tells you exactly how the process is through pit road. You know, if, if it looks like there's a malfunction, there's a light that comes on, and it's reviewed by an official, and then it goes up to the hierarchy people who then review it. Um, they reviewed Kevin Harvick's thing. It was clear. Everybody watching the race knew they were reviewing it. 
everybody watching the race looked at that and said, that's a, that's a loose wheel. That looks like a loose wheel. That looks like it's, it's pretty far away from Harvick's guy, and yet they didn't rule on it. Now, I know Harvick had a lot of issues. And maybe they were worried about one more uh, black eye because of the pick guns and all that kind of nonsense that was going on, but bad call there. And, you know, I'll give them credit for coming out and admitting that they made a mistake because, um, you know, it's, it's to me better that they do that because at least your fans are educated on it. And you say, hey, you know what, we screwed up. Yeah, that should have been a, a loose wheel. It doesn't really help anything. To me, Harvard shouldn't even finish second. Now, uh, bank error in your favor, as they used to say in Monopoly, um, for Kevin Harvick, no doubt about that. You know, And he shouldn't be relinquishing his second-place finish, but he probably shouldn't have finished there because of what happened with the, with, uh, the pit guns. Now, I think – or what, what happened with, the, with the, the pit issue. Now, I think um, when you look at the pit issues today as a whole – I think it was so hard to pass today at Texas Motor Speedway. These drivers, these teams, these pit crew guys, these crew chiefs, everybody knew you had to gain and you had to be as fast the pit road as, as possible because it was so hard to pass. It was a one-crew racetrack. The bottom lane was where you wanted to be. They tried like heck with the tire, uh, you know, the, to, with the tire rubber to, to, to you know, uh, rub the tires into the racetrack, rub the rubber into the racetrack with, with the – you know, with the machine and everything before the race, none of that really worked. Uh, the high lane was okay for a little bit. Uh, we saw Kyle Bush make a pass on it, but that was really the only one all day that, that he was able to do that. So uh, kind of a, a crazy day. What did you think about the racing? It was one groove, a lot of blown tires today. Um, you know, I think the cold weather might have hurt the fact that we couldn't get the rubber into the racetrack the way you want it to be. Um, just a lot of different issues today over there at Texas Motor Speedway. What were your thoughts on that as a whole? Well, I think with the cold weather, it gave them more grip than they were expecting. I think they were expecting 70 degrees today, and it never, it barely made it to 60. I also think when you look at the way they were calling things, and back to the Harvick penalty that wasn't, um, I don't think it would have made such a scene if Fox didn't catch Harvick's car chief fist bumping the NASCAR official after they were told no penalty. I mean, that's where the black helicopters come out and people go, Oh, conspiracy. They're in to make sure Harvick's taken care of and everything like that. I mean, it looked, it's a bad look, but also you think about it. These same people are on the same traveling circus every week and they're all friends, whether they're officials or drivers or crew chiefs or car chiefs or whatever. They all know each other. It just was a bad look. And that's why Brent Dewar had to come out after the race and say, oops, we made a mistake because it looked like Harvick got one in his favor. And the thing was, and and going back to it, Mike Joy gave a great explanation on the TV broadcast of what happens if a penalty is under review that the uh, Skyhawk system or whatever the hell it's called sends a flashing message up, then it's reviewed by a panel, and then it's taken up to race ops, and race ops has a final decision, and race ops made a bad call. Like you said, bank bank error in Harvick's favor, he gets a second-place finish. But the optics of it where the NASCAR official is fist-bumping Harvick's car chief just made it look bad. I mean, they could have gotten away with it saying, okay, we made the call, and that's okay. And it was it was one of those balls and strikes. I mean, it depends on how much you consider an arm length and the tire really didn't get far enough away that he, I mean, he had to take one step and he got it, but 
it's just one of those things. The optics made it bad, and that's why Brent Dewar had to come out and apologize and say we made a bad call. Absolutely. And the fist pump thing, I think when you look at that, you say, let's compare that to other sports for a second. You know, you consider an offensive lineman sort of like the pit crew. If you consider an offensive lineman like a pit crew member, where you sit there and you go, okay, let's say that was an an NFL happened in the NFL where – there was a penalty on the offensive team, and the offensive lineman was talking to the referee, and the referee picked up the flag, and the offensive lineman walked over to the referee and fist-pumped him. You see, you're going to sit there, and you're going to go, oof. That, that would have been national news on, on every football show possible. Now, I don't know if it's to that extent what you want to say it about, but you're right. It wasn't a great look when you sit there and you go, hmm, He's fist-pumping the official there. Now, I don't think the official makes that call, which is what's different with the NFL than NASCAR, as you mentioned. Uh, It goes up to the hierarchy, the people who run the sport, the people who make those calls. That's the difference with that. Um, So I think that has a lot to do with it. But um, it it was definitely a bad look, no doubt about it. 917-889-8280. a lot of wrecks today, John. I think one lane hurt that. I think the way these cars, um, you know, with the air and aerodynamics and everything at Texas Motor Speedway, Brad Keselowski came out after his accident and said these cars can't run side by side at Texas Motor Speedway. And I went, well, what are we doing here? I mean, aren't we supposed? This is a racetrack. Aren't we supposed to run side by side? Why can't we run side by side? So that's scary to me when you look at Texas Motor Speedway and you got guys who. Now, Brad was frustrated, no doubt about it, and he wasn't running great. Brad, to me, the last couple of weeks, even at Martinsville, um, has seemed like he was going to be a really have a really good car, and then when the race started, he's faded a little bit and hasn't run good, and I think he's been very frustrated about that. So those comments come from a frustrated Brad Keselowski. But still, passing with a premium today, uh, track position was, was, was a big factor. What were your thoughts on Texas Motor Speedway today? I think what they should have done, and they had the problem because there was rain Friday night that washed what rubber was on the track that the tire dragon put on and took it away. And you kind of knew from watching the Xfinity race on Saturday, it wasn't going to widen out very much, partially because of how cold it was and the rubber's not able to get into the track. I think one of the things that NASCAR needs to do, especially with these new repaves or whatever, um, they have the testing policy and all that crap where it's like, you can only do blah, blah, blah. I think they ought to do it where it's like, okay, we know this track is a problem. We're going to, and I don't care if they bring the cup drivers out, you can bring somebody else, put them in the cup car with the regular tires. A Goodyear is going to bring in there and put orange cones around the bottom lane and just have people run and run and run and run. The tire dragger can do only so much. Have them run in that groove. Have them adjust cars to get to that groove and make it a test session where people can, I mean, they're putting 500 miles on these cars to end up getting to legitimate rubber and legitimate setups where they can figure out how to get into the top groove. Because right now they know if they get out of the bottom groove, there's a chance they're going to spin out. So everybody's trying to figure out how to get their car best on the bottom. And nobody's trying to get to the top because it's really not worth it. You put 20 cars out there and have them run 500 miles with the Goodyear rubber that they're setting on it right now, 
you're going to get an upper groove. You watch it whenever they yeah. do sprint cars uh, on dirt. If they got the bottom groove lined up and they got it the way they want it, so if they're doing hot laps, they'll put cones out in the middle of the track and say, you have to be above this. And they'll go out and run their hot laps on the top groove to get the top groove in the way it's supposed to be. So I think it's something they could do. It's going to be a cost, whether the track pays for it or whoever. Somebody's got to pay for it and get legitimate Goodyear rubber on those upper grooves if they have to bring 20 cars out and say, okay, we're going to pay you to do this and run 500 miles and people get a chance to work on their setups to get in those top grooves. So they actually can figure out how to do it. I think it's a win. Uh, listen, I, I just, I like racing. I like seeing people pass each other. Um, I just think today was, was tough. And, and listen, these new repaves, I'm not sure that has much to do with it as far as the reconfiguration of the racetrack where they've taken bacon away in turn two. Um, you know, when you look at that, you say, gee, you know, I, I don't know how, if that was a great move. And it seems like every time one of these racetracks seem to touch the racetrack, they, aside from maybe Las Vegas Motor Speedway, um, they don't, they do more harm than good. So you kind of, you know, uh, I cringe when people say, well, well, we might reconfigure it. We might, you know, um, you know, take banking away, all that kind of stuff. You sit there and you go, really? Um, I'm not sure that that's the, uh, best thing to do. How about Goodyear today? Do you think they, they deserve some blame here today for the issues? I mean, we had saw three or four drivers below their right front tires, including, you know, like I said, two potential winners of Ryan Newman, who had a really pretty decent day going in the top ten, at least, for Ryan Newman, um, who blew right front tire. You know, Kyle Busch, we saw one time on his pit stops, he had a chunk out of his right front tire, and, uh, you know, he pitted, it seemed like, just at the right time. I know there was a lot of attrition, there was a lot of wrecks, there was a lot of um, potential debris on the racetrack, but was it the temperature? What was it with these tires, and do you think Goodyear should bring a new tire back here um, when we get back for the, the, the chase race here in November? I think Goodyear's got to go back to the table for this track. Um, now, granted, it's only the third race they've run on this reconfiguration, and from what I understand, the weather was a lot different this winter than normal, so they've actually... Uh, it's the tracks worn more than your normal year to year difference between, uh, at Texas motor speedway. One of the things that I noticed with this one was the, if you look at Newman's tire pop and Newman said five seconds before the tire popped and he went into the wall, I need four tires now. And they were starting to get up on the wall and Newman was going to try to get around and his tire popped, but it was on the inside. You saw the inside of that tire start taking the hood up before you saw the tire go down and Newman go into the wall. So it was the inside of the tire, not the, um, your normal words, middle outs where the, uh, problem ends up. I think part of it might've been a camber issue where people were trying to get as much grip into this thing as possible because they knew it was a one groove track and they had to make sure they were as locked into that one groove as they could. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think the weather certainly had some issues as well. Like I said, when the, it's warm, it makes sense that the rubber doesn't uh, go into the racetrack when it's cold as, as much as it would when it's warm. And uh, I think you need that rubber in the racetrack for these tires to perform the way they, they're supposed to perform. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with today. Uh, it was, you know, like I said, eight, eight cautions today, a lot of attrition, uh, it, 
was a lot of carnage out there today. Um, you know, we saw the six get into it with the 95 uh, on, on lap 251. Trevor Vane got into it with, with uh, Casey Kane. Um, Paul Menard had two, two accidents. One that finally put him out of the race at lap 236. Um, what were your final thoughts race today at Texas Motor Speedway? Uh, who really stands out to you that had a solid day? Who struggled? And uh, who really needs a good run as we get ready to go to Bristol next week? Well, Kyle Busch stands out to me of having a good day because he was up front all day long. No matter what the situation was, Kyle Busch was up there. The other ones who stand out to me as a good day is Stuart Haas. Um, all four cars ran well. Even though Eric Almirola's finish doesn't show, he was caught up in an accident, but they had three cars in the top ten again. Um, who had a bad day? The NASCAR officials. Goodyear. Um, the pit gun manufacturer. Those are the three big standouts of who had a bad day. And who needs a good run next week? And I'm seeing um, – I almost want to put him as a good day, even though he wrecked, is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, for the first time this year, showed speed. And that was impressive. Bad day also for uh, Kyle Larson because they had they failed inspection three times pre-race – Got through on the fourth, so his car chief watched it, watched the race probably from a barbecue joint out back. So those are your good bads and uh, need to impress. I think Jimmy Johnson still needs a good run. He had a good run going today till he had the loose wheel, and then he wound up getting caught up in the melee. But Jimmy Johnson showed speed for the first time in a long time. Agreed, and he was making his way through the field. He was good in practice yesterday. Um, yeah, that 48 was fast at times today. I think, what, you know, we talked about Chevy's struggles all year. Um, there's been no doubt, I think, Chevrolet, for the, through the first six races of the year, were really, really struggling. They were at least a couple of steps behind Ford and a couple of steps behind Toyota. I think they closed that gap even a little bit today. You mentioned Jimmy Johnson. I think that's something you like to see where you say, hey, that's the team you look at and you say, if, if Chevrolet turns it around, we're going to see it first with that 48 team because that's the team we're used to seeing perform very, very well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was a step in the right direction on the mile-and-a-half program. Um, I still think they got some work to do. But it, it's an encouraging sign. I think if they came out and, and laid an egg again at Texas Motor Speedway, which I'm not saying they, they ran terrific today, but if they did close the gap even a little bit at Texas. I think he would have sat there and said, oh, boy, maybe this isn't what they thought with this car. But well, I, I think, think they're Clayton, figuring it out. I think Go when ahead. you say about that, there are a couple couple things where you look at and you say, okay, things we are making progress. Kyle Larson had started at the end of the field because they failed inspection three times, and he was up in second place whenever he blew his tire. Jamie McMurray hasn't shown much life all year. He finished third. And William Byron started at the rear of the field and finished 10th. And Johnson, as we said, was running good until he had the loose wheel and then got caught up in the melee. So we saw more life out of Chevrolet today than we had in the first six races combined. Agreed. And Chase Elliott was running pretty good until he had his issue with the pit, with the, um, on a pit stop with the loose lug nut as well. So, yeah, I, I think it was a step in the right direction for Chevrolet. There, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and these next three three races here with Bristol, Richmond, and Talladega coming up, it's not going to be a good barometer, a barometer as far as um, viewing whether or not 
this Chevy has closed the gap on a mile and a half because we don't go to a mile and a half here for a little while. But definitely a step in the right direction, I think, today um, from from that team and, and from Chevrolet. I think uh, what, it's going to be interesting to see what we see at Bristol. Will Chevrolet have what they had at, have what they had at Martinsville where we saw Alex Bowman have a pretty good run? Um, we'll see. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to, to see what happens at Bristol. I'm excited for Bristol. You know, these mile and a half get dull after a while. We've just run uh, four of them here in, in a in a three four weeks in a excuse me in a five week span here. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to to watch some racing at Bristol and Richmond coming up, and then of course the the crapshoot at Talladega Super Speedway in a couple of weeks as well. Xfinity Series also ran at Texas Motor Speedway. John Ryan Blaney won. Uh, led 132 laps. was really the dominant car all day. Christopher Bell finished second. Daniel Hemrick was third. Then he had Cole Custer, Ryan Priest, Matt Tift, James McMurray uh, finishing seventh in the 42 car for Chip Ganassi Racing. Elliot Sadler finished eighth. Austin Sindrick, who's had a tough start to the season, made some interesting comments before the race saying that he felt uh, he should do another year in the truck series. If Brad Kozlowski Racing didn't shut down, he would be in the truck series. Uh, I agree with him. I think he was sort of rushed, but you can't help where your seat is. But he stopped the bleeding. He's had a really tough start to the year. Finished ninth on on Saturday at Texas Motor Speedway. And Spencer Gallagher finished in the 10th spot. Um, A a decent run for him. A couple of of points that really stick out here for me is uh, Christopher Bell had a good day. Also, Daniel Hemrick. I mean, Hemrick's shown some, some speed here. He was very good last year. Uh, ran for the playoffs last year, but this was the first time I think we saw that I saw Daniel Hemrick in the Xfinity series where I thought he was actually going to win a race there for a little while. Um, and that's a huge step in the right direction for that 21 car. Like I said, you got Bristol coming up. Same thing with the Xfinity series, Bristol and Richmond coming up two tracks where Hemrick can really win. These next four races in the Xfinity series are dash for cash events where cup guys cannot run in them. That's huge for this series. That's huge for these Xfinity series only guys who are very, very good, and for Hemrick and Christopher Bell and Cole Custer to build some momentum to get into these next four races, I think was a huge, huge, huge momentum builder for these guys as they get into the Dash for Cash races. Yeah, I think Cole Custer put it earlier. He said, uh, our finishes aren't what we've been running this year, and he finally had a finish that showed the way he was running this week. Uh, Blaney was in, in his own planet this week, and um, that's three races in a row for that 22 for Team Penske. And three different drivers. Joey won, Brad won, now Blaney's won in that 22. So it was typical the way they do things over there at Penske. It's a good operation. But, yeah, Daniel Hemrick uh, showing what he can do in that 21 car. Uh, We thought he would be okay. We thought he would do fine. And he is starting to show what he can really do. Uh, Cole Custer keeps doing what he does. Um, Christopher Bell is Christopher Bell. I mean, we know he's going to be a star someday. It's just a matter of when that's going to take place. And the question I'm looking at is Christopher Bell's running great this year for Joe Gibbs. Where's this spot in the end next year? Because I don't see him being two years in the Xfinity series. Where do they have a place for him to land? It's interesting. And, and there were some comments about that uh, a couple of weeks ago from Barney Visser and, and David Wilson at Toyota. Uh, talking about the second car at Furniture Racing, um, saying that, that they are ready to open it up for Christopher Bell next year. Um, and it sounds like they're putting plans in motion 
to make that happen next year. So um, keep an eye out for Christopher Bell. I don't think Toyota wants him to get away. We talked about the fact that they really don't have an open seat there right now. Um, but, you know, I don't like the fact that they go out there and they shut that race team down from last year where you say, hey, um, that team was sort of, you know, was there. I mean, it was established, it was built, and they basically dispersed all the guys, and now they got to rebuild the team back up. Not sure how I feel about that, but isn't it interesting how Jason Ratcliffe, who was the crew chief for the 20 car last year, goes down to the Xfinity Series, and it's almost like, okay, we're going to work with Christopher Bell and Jason Ratcliffe. They're going to have a, uh, a year under their belt in the Xfinity Series, and when this team gets, gets ready and built for next season, Christopher Bell and Jason Ratcliffe are going to come up and run in the number 77 car at Furniture Racing. Uh, Five-Hour Energy might probably step up and sponsor uh, they have other sponsorships there as well. So keep an eye out for that. I mean, it hasn't been announced yet, but certainly it's, it was stated, and it certainly looks like plans are in motion to put Christopher Bell in a second car at Furniture Racing next year, John. It makes you wonder why Toyota didn't pony up enough money for Matt Kenseth to stay and put him in the 77 for a year and just keep that operation running instead of selling the charter off. So now they got to go buy another charter to get back at the 77 so they can reopen it and find out whether it's going to be with Barney Visser, if Christopher Bell is going to stay there, or if it's just a placeholder until either Denny Hamlin goes away from Joe Gibbs, or that's the only place I could see it because Joe Gibbs is not going to let go of uh, Daniel Suarez because of the money that pipes in from Eris. And right. um, he's not going to let go of, Oh crap. Um, Eric Jones in the 20, because he obviously replaced, they put Kenseth out the past year to put Eric Jones in that 20. So they're not going to get rid of Suarez. They're not going to get rid of Jones. And for the love of God, they're not going to get rid of Kyle Bush. So the only person who's got to, they have to look and see is when Denny Hamlin's contracts up, whether they want to put Eric Jones back at Joe Gibbs or is Toyota going to say, okay, we're committed to making the second car team at Barney Visserland and Eric Jones is going to be our driver. And, if they're going to keep it as a two-car operation or if it's just going to be the one-year rental like it was with Eric Jones. Yeah, it's interesting, especially when you think about the fact that what happened with BK Racing this week. The team is being, and we'll discuss that here a little bit, John, the team is being run by uh, basically a bank um, right now as as Ron Devine, the uh, owner of that race team, has lost complete, basically complete monetary control and control and basically the operation of that race team in that 23 car with uh, Greg Galding this year, driving that car for all eight races so far, or excuse me, seven races so far here in 2018. When you think about that, um, you know, and, and Devine came out this week and said, they want to sell my charter off to premium motorsports and Jay Robinson racing. Jay Robinson's run a second car. He's got a charter in the 15, but he needs a charter for the 55. Uh, you have to wonder if maybe that's where they get their charter from is a 23 and, and somehow um, they, they acquire that charter, um, and a 23 car, you know, kind of goes away there. But um, what a situation there! It's something that um, it, it's a first in NASCAR with this charter situation with BK Racing. Um, you know, Ron Devine owns, owes a lot of money to the bank. That that's legally on, on the papers. It comes out and says Devine owns a lot of money to, to, the, to the bank. Uh, and basically, the judge came out and said, you know, until everything gets situated. Uh, a bank's going to run the team. Uh, kind of a crazy situation over there at BK Racing. 
Well, on top of that, he owns he owes uh, over three million dollars to the IRS. Uh, there's people whose tax returns have shown them getting paid X amount when they didn't. Um, I mean, Ron Devine is going to go into the NASCAR history right there with George Gillette and Bobby Ginn. That's where he's going to end up as notorious for ruining race teams. Um, I have no sympathy for Ron Devine. I mean, granted, he, he says he put $35 million of his own money into it and lost it, but I mean, what kind of operation are you running where you're struggling to finish in the top 25 and that's on a good day and you've put $35 million of your own money, you still owe $20 million and you're fighting for 25th. I mean, you look, Greg Golding finished 20th today and he was what, 12 laps down and they're over there sticking their chest out saying, look at the day we had, even though, seven cars who could have easily who could have battled for the win were sitting behind the wall because they played chicken with the wall so the bk racing thing is fascinating another thing that fascinated me this week was the article that bob pockers put out and it's been something i've brought up on this show probably for the last three years is who's our next generation of owners and one of the things that he put in there was last year hendrick motorsports was asking six hundred and sixty thousand dollars a race to sponsor Casey Kane's car. And it wound up where they averaged from the last, they looked at Casey Kane's finish from the last time that NASCAR posted what the winnings were, that Casey Kane averaged $175,000 a race. So they're average, they're asking for four times the amount, almost, well, a little over three times the amount of what they average winnings for sponsorship per race. So the business model of NASCAR is completely upside down and somehow some way it's got to get fixed and one of the things they kept bringing out was like with the stick and ball sports these stick and ball sports are owned by the owners Mm -hmm. and nascar is owned by the france family and the france family controls two-thirds of the track and you think about it 75% of the TV money goes to the tracks. Or no, 65 to the tracks, 25 to the teams, 10 to NASCAR. So you think about 75% of the money goes to the France family and a little, then, then the Smiths get their part for Speedway Motorsports. But it's one of those things, the business model is upside down. And until somebody comes in and figures out how to fix the business model, NASCAR could be in dire straits. Well, listen, it's it's definitely a when you when you compile all that together, um, I think that's what the RTA is working on. I think um, you know it, it brings us back to the pit gun situation where they're trying to cut costs that way because um, you know you, you want to limit costs as much as you can, but you know you also have to look out for um, everything being becoming the same. Now, I heard also there's a possibility that NASCAR is entertaining the idea of uh, composite bodies in the Cup Series next year. It's worked well in Xfinity. We've seen a, I think we've seen a much more level playing field in the Xfinity Series this year, uh, where you know it used to be where Joe Gibbs Racing sort of, it didn't matter who was in what car, they just went out and dominated. Um, and right now, Joe Gibbs Racing is a little bit, they're not, I wouldn't say they're behind, but they're a lot more human than what they've been in the last five or six years in the Xfinity Series. And I think it's got a lot to do with the composite bodies. Now, you can argue and say, if everybody's got the same body, 
is that really good for racing? It's a good point, you know, and, and I think also it's a lot more, it's a lot stronger than what we've seen with, with the, with the, what we see in the cup series right now, where if you bounce it off the wall, uh, there's, you know, it's a lot more stronger and it doesn't give as much as the other, um, you know, what we see in the cup series currently. So that's something to keep an eye on as well to keep costs down. Now I think there's a lot more issues than that, that they need to look at. Um, but it's certainly something uh, that is an issue and, and something that I think NASCAR needs to fix for sure because we want to get owners in this sport. And really what you want to see is these owners making profits. Um, if they're not making any profits, nobody's going to want to be a part of it. Uh, no matter how rich somebody is, you know, you don't want to flush money down a toilet. And uh, that's something you def- we definitely need to look at. Now, we've had some big investors with, with the uh, Fenway Group. Uh, they're still in the sport with, with Jack Roush, um, so that's a good sign. But uh, definitely you want to see some these owners get a bigger bang for their buck. And we'll see what NASCAR comes up with. But I think that's definitely a priority right now. Well, those guys didn't become millionaires and billionaires by throwing money away. Um, Gene Haas does it because it's a passion. And he threw some money away for a while because until Tony Stewart came on board, Haas CNC Racing was a back marker. Now they're up toward the front. And he's throwing money at a Formula One team, and he's trying to build it up. But he keeps making CNC machines and making money. He's printing money over there. So he has the money to play with his hobby. Same with Roger Penske. I mean, Roger Penske has so many other businesses that racing is a hobby he can afford. He's also great at uh, making sure he has sponsorship on the vehicles. But you get past Rick Hendrick, Jack Roush is not the... Uh, he's not a billionaire. He has the he has John Henry as a partner, but John Henry bought in what ten, fifteen years ago now. And I don't think the Fenway Sports Group's throwing money hand over fist at Roush Fenway Racing. I think Fenway is on there as a name because they bailed Jack out years ago, and you can tell by the performance that Roush has gone from five quality teams to two teams, and one of them's quality, and one of them is there because of sponsorship. Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, uh, see what this sport goes happens in 10 years. You know, a lot of people say don't focus on the business of this sport, but we do in other sports. You know, we focus on contracts and all that kind of stuff. In other sports, and, and the NFL owners and, and people like that are making mil- billions of dollars, uh, and it's it's just it's they're printing money in the NFL, like you say. And uh, NASCAR, it's not so much. And I think these owners are sort of sitting there going, what are we doing wrong? How can we how can we write the ship here? Uh, it's a ship that sort of I think has gotten way you know way away from these guys. So um, I think it's hard. You're in a tough spot because you don't want to create a level such a level playing field that nobody goes anywhere. Like we saw today, where track position becomes everything. I don't want to see that. Um, but you also want to keep these. You don't want these owners to throw money at everything. Um, so you know we could not, we could talk all night about the changes we think they should make. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think it is a priority for them to lower the cost of these race teams and everything, and we'll see what they come up with um, going forward. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. I think it was a great show. Uh, an interesting race at Texas Motor Speedway. We'll be back here Wednesday night previewing Bristol and talking about the news from NASCAR. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time on Talking in Circles.